0: I'm the senior pastor of Mount Perrin North Marietta campus and our Canton campus, and we're so glad that you're here. Have you enjoyed the showers of blessings outside today? It's been a major blessing, has it not? But we are glad that you're here and you brave the elements to be with us here today. If you happen to have brought a Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3, Ephesians is in the New Testament, it is right after the book of Galatians, right before the book of Philippians. We're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 3, primarily verses 8 through 13. We're going to throw in verse 1 as well as we look at God's Word here together. And as Pastor Jeremy mentioned at the opening of our time together, continuing the series we began last week called The Mystery, Pastor Jeremy shared with you on that last week. But today I want to talk about, with the help of the Lord, just how we can live more in a victor's mentality... Unless in a victim's mentality. And just simply talking about victor or victim as we look at the words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your presence. God, I thank you that you are so faithful and gracious to meet with us, that we are so undeserving of the goodness that you bestow upon us. Father, I pray that we would never take that for granted, the amazing mercy and grace that you show us. And so, Father, now for the next few moments, as we open up your word, I pray that you will truly speak to our hearts enable me to share this truth, truth that you want to come into our lives to really transform us by your power and by your strength. I'm not here to perform, God. I simply I simply want you to just speak what we need to hear, and may our lives never be the same because of it. In Jesus' name, amen. I heard the story of identical twin brothers who, although they were identical in their physical appearance, they were totally opposites in their personalities. One was the eternal optimist and the other was the eternal pessimist. And it didn't matter how much good happened to the pessimist, he always found something bad. And it didn't matter how much bad happened to the optimist, he always found something good. And their parents knew they had to go to, they had to, go to radical uh, uh, lengths to, to try to do something about this. So they came up with this idea. One night while the two boys were sleeping in their separate bedrooms they decided to go into the pessimist room and they filled his room up with toys. Every major toy that there was, the hottest toys on the market, they just filled his room up with those toys and they said, there's no way he can find anything wrong with this when he wakes up and sees these toys. So then they went into the optimist boy's room and they filled his room up with horse manure. I mean, up to their knees, when he got out of bed, it'd be up to his waist and he, they knew when he woke up and smelled that horse manure and had to wade through that, there was no way he could find anything good about it. So early the next morning, the parents got up and were sitting at the breakfast table waiting for the boys to emerge. And the first one to come out of his room was the pessimist. And he came out crying, just bawling his eyes out. And they said, did you see the toys? He said, yes. They said, they're for you. He said, I know, but, but I'll probably break them or they're probably not going to work right. Or they'll probably get broken. And Oh, I've just got a terrible life. And they thought, man, this is worse than we thought. And about that time, here comes the optimist kid out of the room. He's got, he's got hip boots on. He's got gloves on. He's got goggles, a helmet, and a shovel. He's covered a head in horse manure, a head-to-toe in horse manure. And he says, isn't it wonderful? Somebody has given me a pony. And as soon as I dig through his horse manure, I'm going to find him. <laughs> Another way we might say this other than optimist and pessimist is victor and victim. You know, there's really... Two ways by which we can approach life, especially the struggles and sufferings and setbacks in our lives. And that's either in a victim type of way or in a victor type of way. And it's interesting, when you look at these two words, victor and victim, they share something in common. And that is the prefix, V-I-C-T, vict. That prefix, vic simply means this. It simply means to conquer. That's what that prefix means. So the word victim means one who is conquered. Whereas the word victor means one who conquers. So victim and victor are all about conquering. It's just a matter of who's doing the conquering and who's being conquered. And it's interesting to me that a victim mentality and a victor mentality is that subtle in our lives. Just two letters. Just that fine line of living in a victim's mentality versus living in a victor mentality. And that's what I want you to understand here today. When I talk about victim, I'm not talking about someone who has been the recipient of a crime or wrongdoing or some type of injustice, a true victim in that regard. I'm talking about folks that play the victim. I'm talking about the victim mentality that all of us can get into. That's what we want to look at versus this idea of a victor mentality. Now, there's some differences, obviously, between these two. And I went to uh, several uh, psychological, um, uh, psychologist websites, psychiatric websites. I went to some sociological websites. I looked at my own experience as a pastor for over 25 years and the amount of counseling I've done with different people and people I've been involved with. I looked at my own life. And my own tendency towards victim mentality ways, as well as as, as sometimes being that victor, I, I through my own observations of my family, through all those sources, I sort of compiled a, a, a list, a comparison of what is a victim and what is a victor. What is the victim mentality and the victor mentality? And I just want to step through that very quickly with you. First of all, victims tend to uh, dream and fantasize, whereas victors plan and achieve. You see, victims tend to live in the land of what should have been, ought to have been, could have been. They live in the world of what if. Whereas victors, they are dreamers too. But they don't live in the past of what if. They live in the present of what is and the future of what can be. And they plan and they set goals and they achieve and they move forward. Victims also let others ruin their day. Whereas victors uh, help others make their day. They, 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 victims uh, blame everything on everybody else. The victims play the blame game really, really well. It's their fault. It's, it's that situation. If that hadn't to happen to me and they let their situations and their circumstances and people control who they are, how they think, how they feel and how they're going to live their lives. Whereas victors, no, they, they, they aren't controlled by those things. They're controlled by something higher. Who they are, what they're going to do, how they're going to think and feel, isn't controlled by circumstances, situations, or people. It's controlled by a greater power and a greater plan and a greater purpose so that they're able to help other people make their day and not have their day ruined by what other people do. Victims are defeated by problems, whereas victors learn from their problems. Man, victims, all they talk about is their problems. All they focus on is their setbacks. I mean, they rehearse their problems over and over and over again. You know know those types of people that you know when you see them, all you're going to hear is their problems? Until finally you see them at a distance and you run and hide. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm a pastor. I can't do that. (laughs) Although I do from time to time. Victors, on the other hand, they learn from their problems. Now, uh, victors... Don't. it's not that victors never struggle with the victim mentality. It's not that victors don't get hurt and upset and, 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 and frustrated and wounded from their problems and their sufferings. And they do struggle with the victim mentality. It's just that victors don't live there. They, they learn from their problems. They see their sufferings as opportunity to grow, to develop, to learn. They don't get defeated by them. They learn from them. Victims... Find ways not to get things done. Whereas victors look to make things happen. I mean, victims stand around and give excuse after excuse after excuse why it can't be done. They spend so much energy trying to just avoid getting the thing done that if they would just shift that energy for one moment to getting something done, it's amazing what would happen. But they find excuse after excuse. It can't be done that way. No, we tried that. It didn't work. It can't be done. They just live in this. It can't be done. Whereas victims or victors. No, man, they learn how to make it happen. They find a way. They're going to go under it, over it, through it, around it. They're going to wait it out. They're going to do whatever. They find a course of action, man, and they make it happen. Victims let the world happen. Victors happen to the world. See, victims just exist. They live in this reactive, defensive mode. The world is just all out there and they just sort of respond. No, victors engage the world. Victors make a difference. Victors impact. They're offensive, not defensive. Victims wish for luck. Victors trust in God. See, victims say, I just, it's, I just got so much bad luck in my life. If my luck would just change. They're waiting for the luck to change. You know, I just got this new job, and you know it's my luck. The economy tanked, and I'm out of work. If, if the economy would just change. I got this new house, man, and the economy tanked, and I lost all the value. Man, if my luck would just change, they're waiting for luck to change. Victor say, it ain't nothing about luck. It's about trusting God. God is the one that controls my life. That I rest in the hands of God. Good economy, bad economy. Whatever the government's doing or not doing, should be doing or shouldn't be doing. Whatever's happening, that's, that's not what rules a victor's life. Victors trust God. See, that's what we see in the Apostle Paul. In Ephesians 3. We see this victor mentality that Paul begins to display in verses 8 through 13. We're going to throw in verse 1 as well because verse 1 sort of sets the context. You see, Paul could have played the victim, but he chooses to be a victor. So let's look at these verses. It's going to be up on the screen. Verse 1 of chapter 3, Paul says, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus. Paul is in prison. When he writes this letter, he is in prison. One reason he's in prison, because he's been preaching that Jesus Christ is the eternal king of kings. Well, that flies right in the face of Rome that says Caesar is the only eternal king. So Paul is really preaching treason in that regard. And so Rome is coming against him. A second reason he finds himself in prison is because he talks about this thing he calls the mystery. He wrote about it earlier in this chapter. Jeremy talked about it last week. But this mystery of the church in Christ that Jews and Gentiles would come together as equals in Jesus Christ, accepting one another, loving one another, and and becoming this unified, loving, accepting group. They were rivals. They hated one another. He says the great mystery is they come together in Christ. And that's what he talks about beginning in verse 8. He says, Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me, what grace? To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. He's saying this mystery was hidden in the ages past, but now it's been revealed in Paul's generation. Mystery is the idea of hidden knowledge that only God can reveal. And God revealed this mystery, not just to Paul, but to many of the church leaders of that day. That in Jesus Christ, these two rival prejudicial groups would come together and not just tolerate one another, but truly engage their lives together and become one, a loving, accepting community of people. That was the mystery he's talking about. And then he expands on this as what this group of people are going to do, beginning in verse 10. He says his intent, talking about Christ, Christ's intent was that now through the church, The manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to His eternal purpose, which He accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He says this church is going to be an amazing group of people. And the mystery is that through these group of rivals that hate one another, prejudice toward one another, that's all going to change in Christ and they're going to become this body of people throughout the whole world that God is going to manifest his goodness and his character and his power and his nature to all the world. There's no other group of people like it on the planet Earth. And then Paul goes on in verse 12. He says in him talking about Christ in Christ and through faith in him we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you therefore not to be discouraged. Look at your neighbor and say don't be discouraged. Oh, that's terrible. Look at your neighbor and say don't be discouraged. Man, that was discouraging. Here you say don't be discouraged. He says, look, don't be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. Paul says, look, we're not going to play the victims here. This has happened to me. I'm in prison. I'm in prison for preaching this mystery. But I'm not going to play the victim and I'm not going to let you play the victim. Don't. Be discouraged. And I think some of us in the room need to hear those words. Don't be discouraged. Things are happening. We don't know what's going to happen with the election. We don't know what's going to happen in Congress. We don't know what's going to happen in all those things. But guess what? We don't have to be discouraged. Don't know what's going to happen with the economy. Don't know if it's ever going to turn around. And if it does, how is it going to get as good as it ever was? We don't know, but we don't have to be discouraged. Why? Because we don't have to play victims. We can play victors. How do we do that? What is a victor? Well, I think we can look at these very words of Paul and see what a victor is. First of all, a victor is Christ-centered. A victor is is Christ-centered. Look at verses 1 again, and we're going to skip to verses 10 and 11. Look what it says. I, Paul, the prisoner of who? Who is he a prisoner of? Christ Jesus. He didn't say, I'm a prisoner of Rome. He didn't say, I'm a prisoner of the Jews. He said, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now look what he says in verse 10. He's talking about Christ here. His, Christ's intent was that now through the church... The manifold wisdom of God should be known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You see, Paul's life was centered in Christ. The eternal purpose of Christ He knew that no matter how much setbacks, how much suffering, how much persecution, how much opposition would come against him or come against God or come against his church, God's eternal purpose and plan through Jesus Christ would be accomplished no matter what. He wasn't blaming the Jews for being in prison. He wasn't blaming Rome for being in prison. He wasn't blaming God for being in prison. I mean, he could have played the victim and said, God, you gave me this mystery. I've been preaching this mystery. I've ended up in prison because of it. Thanks a lot. No. It didn't matter to Paul how he got there, why he got there. He just knew that he was there. And he knew wherever he was, Christ had already been there ahead of him and Christ was there with him now and Christ would see him through because his life was controlled and centered in Christ. And wherever he was, no matter how he got there or why he got there, what all the circumstances were, that was really somewhat irrelevant to him. He was going to represent Christ where he was. Because his life was totally centered in Christ. His life belonged to him. He wasn't there by accident. The Lord wasn't sitting there going, God, how did Paul end up in prison? My goodness, I, just, I don't know how that happened. I'm going to tell you something that's not in God's vocabulary. Oops is not in God's vocabulary. My family and I have just walked through and are still walking through a victim-victor situation right now. Some of you may know, you may not know. My dad had emergency bypass—excuse uh, uh, me, emergency open heart surgery a couple of weeks ago. Now, some of you, you've, you've never met my father, perhaps, or know who he is. My dad pastored the Mount Perrin ministry for 37 years. When he resigned, Mount Perrin had five different locations in the city of Atlanta. When he resigned, each location became its own independent church. Mount Perrin North was one of them. We became our own independent church. And now we've opened up this campus. But he is now Pastor Emeritus of the Church of God, or the Mount Perrin Ministries. But two weeks ago, he had to have emergency open heart surgery, not because he had complications with his heart, but because of doctor error. He's had some heart issues, but they were performing a simple minor, simple minor procedure, very common procedure, but because of doctor error, he almost died. They had to go into emergency open-heart open surgery. He almost died twice. Now, he was a victim. He was a victim. Now, I just want to say this. My, my dad was in the hospital 15 days. I was there 13 of the 15 days. I was there all but two days. He's been back at home now since uh, Thursday of this past week. And, and <laughs> for those 15 days... We could have sat there and we have been struggling with woe is me. Look what's happened to us. Struggling back and forth with that. Now, I just want to say this about the about the, the medical profession and the healthcare community. My family has has gained a whole greater respect and admiration and appreciation for the healthcare community and the medical professionals. We have professionals. We have met amazing people who work in this area. Oh, it's amazing the job they have to do and how they perform it so well. And even though it was a doctor error and the doctor that performed this caused my dad to almost die and to have to go into open heart surgery, the doctor didn't play the victim. Once he discovered his error, he could have said, he could have made excuses, he could have tried to cover it up, he could have blamed everybody, and my dad would have died, but he didn't. He swallowed his ego and his pride once he saw what happened, and he called in the best specialist immediately, and the doctor that caused the problem actually ends up saving my dad's life. And to that, we are very, very grateful. I'm glad he didn't play the victim and he decided he was gonna be a victor, even in his own mistake. But for 15 days, we, we, we met all kind of nurses and all kind of assistant nurses. We met all kind of doctors and physica, uh, physician assistants. There have been a parade of people that have come through. And my dad, I've watched this over and over again. And my dad has, is this charismatic personality. He's like the Pied Piper. Anybody that meets him for 30 seconds falls in love with him. He is the consummate entertainer. And they come in, he's in this weakened condition, and they say, how are you doing? He perks up, oh, I'm great, I'm fine, I'm doing awesome. And he tells these jokes, and he's got them all laughing, he's entertaining them. They come in there, and they forget to do anything. They forget to give him his medication, they forget to treat him. They walk out, and they got to come back in. But I watched it time and time again, as he would listen to their stories and ask these people their stories, and he would tell his story. The conversation always turned to Christ. 13 out of 15 days I watched this. It never failed. It would always turn to Christ. And some people would respond and say, oh, I love the Lord. And they would pray with my dad right there. Some of them said, you know what? I, I used to have a relationship with the Lord. I used to go to church, but man, I, I just haven't. It would become open confession. Some would say, you know, I, I, I don't really know about that. Tell me more. Here, this guy's a victim. But because his life is so centered in Christ, he understood that no matter how I got there, why I got here, I represent him here. See, victors are Christ-centered. Victors are also God-dependent. They're God-dependent. Look at verse 12 with me, please, of Ephesians 3. Paul writes, in him, talking about Christ, in Christ and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Listen to that. I am totally dependent upon God. And here I am in prison, but guess what? No amount of prison, no amount of suffering, no amount of persecution can keep me from God or keep God from me. There's no amount of pain. There's no amount of suffering that comes into our lives that, that, that keeps us from being able to approach God. He says, I can approach God with freedom and I can approach God with confidence. Man, no matter where we are, I mean, Paul is in prison. He said, but guess what? God is with me. God's not abandoning me. God's not forsaking me. God is here with me. It doesn't matter how many uh, uh, chains they would put on Paul. It didn't matter how much they would maybe put him down in a dungeon or down in a hole somewhere. God was there. And victors understand no matter what, God is with me. And victors understand I can go to him and I can pour out my heart to him. They are completely, totally God-dependent. Let me ask a question. On what are we depending in our lives? What are we depending to get us out of our suffering? What are we depending on to get us out of our hardship? What are we depending on when problems come our way? Are we, are we depending on, 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 on human things to get turned around? Are we depending on the economy to turn around? Are we depending on, on who's going to be the next president? What are we depending on? Guess what? Those things are good and we want to vote for people and we want to pray that, 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 that the political things in this country really get shored up and we find greater strength in leadership. We want to we wanna hope that the economy gets better. All those things. But let me ask you this question. Weren't we doing that before? (sighs) Haven't we seen this ebb and flow before? Because man-made things break down, but I want to tell you something: God made things never fail. What am I depending in my life, good or bad? And what does my life rest? I want you to hear a story. Of, of a woman who's uh, basically new to our congregation. Her name is, is Nazarene Zamboli. And she was born in Iran. And, and she was born into the Muslim faith. Later in her life, she became a Christian. But she suffered a terrible setback in her life. And you're going to see her story up, up on the screen, up on this in the video here in a moment. And I want you just to listen as she tells this story. I want you to listen to the God-dependency and the Christ-centeredness in her story. Let's go ahead and roll the video if we could, please.
1: I was born a Muslim in Iran, and I came here to America when I was 15. Maybe 25 years later, I became a Christian. One night, I came home from a particularly lengthy Bible study, and my husband um, took my Bible, ripped it into pieces because... He called me a fanatic. One night, he had, a, uh, he had a vision. He had a dream, and Christ came to him. That Sunday, he came to church and gave his testimony and gave his heart to Jesus. One day, on my way to work, I had a car accident. And uh, uh, they took me to the emergency room. I broke my neck, and uh, I was paralyzed from the shoulders down. And it was, uh, you know, very devastating to be so active and engaged, and to going through not even being able to use my hands. The future seemed so bleak. I couldn't even see God anymore. And I was questioning, um, where is God? Uh, Was Jesus for real, or did I imagine it? And uh, one day, when I, Woke up in the hospital. There was a crumbled piece of paper uh, across from from my bed on a camera. And as I looked at it, uh, it was like an origami. It was like Jesus carrying me in His arms, uh, a person who was completely paralyzed. And I felt the abiding presence of God, telling me, "I'm here. I'm with you. I'm carrying you." So. I knew that my God had not abandoned me. My husband suggested that I should paint, and I thought, my first reaction was, I can't even feed myself, how can I paint? Probably never would have been able to find this talent without the accident, because I was too busy with the world and the corporate world that I never had time to find out. God has taught me so much through uh, the suffering, and I have a different viewpoint now about it. The book is called, the title is Passing Through the Fire, and the subtitle is Pathway to Freedom. And the reason I picked that is because um, I feel like I have gone through the fire, uh, through the suffering. But I came out and found a freedom uh, that I didn't know before.
0: I want you folks to meet Nazrine Zamboli. Nazreen is right over here. Nazarene, can you make your way out here a little bit so they can really see you? Can you do that? Please, she's right over here. There she is. There she is right there. Let's hear it for her. What an amazing story. Awesome, awesome story. Yeah, let's hear it for her. Absolutely. Thank you, Nazmi, for, for sharing your story with us. And she was with me at the 9 o'clock service at Marietta, so she made her way all the way over here to be with us at Kent. Thank you so very much. This is one of her paintings, and we have some uh, other pieces of her artwork on display as you leave. So please, she'll be there. So take the time to talk with her and see these things. But here's what I love about this. Can you see it okay? I mean, I know it's a little distant, but you, you realize that's a ballerina, right? Everybody can see that? It's amazing to me, a, a, a woman... A victim, confined to a wheelchair, paints a ballerina. Freedom. It's the expression of the freedom she just talked about. She discovered in Christ through what she's gone through. This is her book. It's also available out there. I've, I've, I've read portions of this amazing story. You're going to be encouraged by, and I encourage you to pick that up. Well, she could have played the victim, but she's a victor. Christ centered, God dependent. And then finally, victors are other focused. They're other focused. Look what Paul writes again, verse 1, and then verses 8 and 9 and 13. He says this, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. He's saying, it's for your sake I'm a prisoner. Although I'm less, verse 8, than the least of God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to make make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. He's making it plain to everyone, he says, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. Verse 13, I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Do you hear all of this other centered stuff? This isn't about Paul. It's about God and these people. He's saying, hey, no matter what's happened to me, no matter what's come into my life, as painful and disheartening and difficult as it is, I'm going to be me. And let me tell you who me is. He's saying, I'm somebody that wants to make sure everybody I come in contact with understands the God that's in me. It doesn't matter if everything's going good or everything's going bad. I want to be sure, no matter my sufferings, everybody knows the God that's in me. I want to be sure. No matter who I am or where I am. Everybody knows the God. That's in me. One of the primary reasons. Nazarene. Wrote this book. Was so that other Muslims. Would know the Jesus Christ that she's discovered. Through her sufferings. Others. Focused. I'm going to invite the band to come up if they would, please. My grandfather, my mom's dad, name's Gus Howell. He's with the Lord now. I want to say around 1990, I think he went to be with the Lord. As a young man, he had all kind of health issues. He had heart issues, had several open heart surgeries throughout his lifetime. He had hernia operations. He had all kinds of issues. Late in his life, he developed Alzheimer's. Eventually died of Alzheimer's, and at the close of his life, about the last month of his life, he didn't recognize anybody in his family. If you've ever walked down that path with anybody in that situation, it's a a heart-wrenching walk. And my grandfather was a minister of the gospel. Central Florida, he started several churches in the central Florida area. Not just establishing congregations, but literally building the buildings. He was a master builder, along with being a minister. One day, he had to have a gangrious gallbladder removed from him. It was late in life. I was, I was probably in my early 20s. Maybe my late teens, early 20s. I can't exactly remember the time, but, but right around that time frame. And the doctors basically said, look, if this, if this gangrious gallbladder doesn't come out, he's going to die. But because of his age and because of the, the feebleness of his body, he may not come out of the anesthesia if we do the operation. It's a great risk either way. Well, we as a family felt like it was a risk worth taking, so he and we agreed to have the surgery done. At the hospital his three his four kids my mom and her sister and two brothers were there uh uh, some of the other grandchildren including me were there and my grandfather he looked at all of us before they took him out of the room and said look i don't want to come back i want to go be with the lord i'm tired of all this mess he said his goodbyes he didn't want to come back he wanted to die well he didn't Brought him out of recovery, brought him into the room. And finally, when he sort of came to himself, he looked around and saw all of us standing there. And he said, well, I guess I'm not in heaven. (laughs) That really made you feel good. But I'll never forget the next thing he said. He said, God must have kept me here. Because there's one more person he wants me to touch. I'll be honest with you. I don't know if my grandfather ever really talked to another person about the Lord after that. But I tell you, a life he did touch, that was mine. A 20-year-old kid trying to really understand is this God real? Is this thing called Jesus real? I've been raised in it. Is it just some cultural thing? Is it just some belief system along with every other belief system? And man, when I heard my grandfather say that after all he had been through and all the suffering and all the pain of his life that I knew about Man, that drew me in. This is something real. This is, this is not something made up. Life is more than just some clever soundbite in a text message or some Twitter message. God has a plan and a purpose. Suffering was not a part of it, but we brought it in because of our sin. But God is so great and His sovereignty is so powerful. He works within the suffering of this world to bring His plan and purpose about. We don't have to be victims, ladies and gentlemen. We can be victors through a Christ and a God who loves us dearly. Choice is ours. Victor or victim. I invite you to bow your head and close your eyes for a moment. God, I thank you for this time. I I just thank you for the the, the privilege to be here, the privilege to, to talk to these wonderful people, the privilege to bring your truth God I pray it has been true and I pray it has been for you and, and, I, and I pray right now it's speaking to hearts help us to have the courage and the faith to take the next steps with our head bowed and our eyes closed I'm going to ask this question you are here right now and you are going through a suffering place I mean, you are going through a very troubled, problematic situation. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a physical illness or ailment. Maybe it has to do with with your business. I, I don't know. But you are walking through a difficult place. And you want us to pray for you. But not only just to pray for the situation, but to pray that, wow, as I go through this, God, help me to have more of the victor mentality And less of the victim mentality. But you're here. You're in a difficult, suffering place. And you want prayer. And all I'm going to ask first is I want to ask those that want prayer just to raise your hand in this building. That's me. I I need prayer. I am walking through that kind of a place. And I need prayer. If you raised your hand, then all the next thing I want to ask you to do is just to stand up where you are. Just stand up where you are right now. Not to be embarrassed, not to be ashamed, because there's nothing embarrassed or shame to be ashamed of. Just right where you are, you are walking through that difficult place. Because we just want to simply pray for you. If there's somebody near you that's standing, and you're somebody, you're somebody that, that strives to be Christ-centered, God-dependent, and other focused. you believe in a God, that takes us where we are and is able to use us and, and minister to us. And there's somebody standing next to you. I want you just to move to them right now and just put a hand on their shoulder or take their hand because we're just going to pray for them together as one body right now. We're going to believe together as one body right now. Father God. <laughs> It's not in how loud we pray or in how hard we believe but it is simply in the goodness and the greatness and the grace and the mercy and the love that you bestow and provide for us right now Father we together pray for those who had the faith and the courage to stand and say man I am walking through the place I am walking through the fire I am walking through a difficult time I am walking through suffering Father, right now, we ask in the name of Jesus, you touch them right where they are, that they feel your presence right now, that they know you have not abandoned them, you have not forsaken them, but you are there to do the work that needs to be done. And Father, I pray for them in agreement with one another, that Father, wherever they find themselves in the victim mentality, begin to move them more towards the victor mentality, Father. May they really know that that Christ is the center of their lives. And Father, if for whatever reasons they've walked away from Him or have never made a decision to follow Him, let that happen right now, that Christ truly is center. Father, that You are the one that they're going to depend on constantly. And God, I pray, wherever self-pity or just things about themselves has creeped in and they've forgotten those around them, I'm praying now in the midst of their suffering, in the midst of what they're dealing with, You're going to bring people into their lives that they're going to be able to touch with your greatness and glory. Father, we're believing for the miracle to have circumstances change, but even greater, we're believing for the transformation in all of our lives, God. And I pray for this entire body of people. May we truly walk as victors in everything of life and less as victims for one purpose, your praise, your glory, and your honor in Jesus name. Amen and amen. Can we give God the great Victor praise in this place? Praise the